Welcome to episode 21 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. And this is a Henry Fonda showcase based around 12 Anger Men from 1957. Connor and I also watched Fonda's Oscar-nominated performance in The Grapes of Wrath from 1940, and then his Oscar-winning performance from On Golden Pond in 1981. We also checked out Once Upon a Time in the West because it's fucking awesome. It's <laughs> <laughs> so amazing that that movie just wasn't filled with accolades and rewards. Uh, Inyo, shout out to you. We'll talk about you later. Fonda was also a producer on 12 Angry Men, so his name pops up next to the nomination at the 30th Academy Awards for Best Picture. He also received an honorary award in 1981, making him a two-time Oscar winner, which is why we're bringing him up here today, because he's kind of turning the page for us at Oscar Sunday for this podcast, for this show. We're going to be basing more episodes around individuals, and what a fucking way to start with Henry Fonda. Yeah, unbelievable. The guy is considered one of the most talented and respected performers of the 20th century. He like just, he started a a Hollywood dynasty with his kids, Jane and Peter Fonda. And it just, he's a name that keeps coming up. And I, I love the guy. The more his work I check out, the more I just fall in love with his performances and his, his uh, tendency to play real noble heroic characters, which is why, his turn in Once Upon a Time in the West is something we wanted to bring into this because it's unlike anything he did in his entire career. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. And, you know, this little showcase is spanning over, you know, 40 years, essentially. We start out with The Grapes of Wrath, uh, John Ford film, obviously John Steinbeck book. It, incredible story, really sad, but it, he's 35 in that performance. And he, the maturity in that in that performance is is unbelievable. I totally understand why he was nominated that year. Uh, we we talked a bit about. I think that was what was that episode five? We talked about the Great Dictator, Rebecca. Some films from 1940. Uh, certainly, certainly one of the better ones from 1940. The Grapes of Wrath are really good. And then we went 1957, Twelve Anger Men. That's what this this episode is based around. And we're still going to give out awards for that film later later down the line and talk a bit about the uh, 30th Academy Awards and the three nominations that it had as a film. And again, Henry Fonda was a producer for that one. And then that brings us to 1968. Like you said, Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, To me, the best movie of these four uh, (laughs) as a whole. It's it's epic. It's almost three hours, but totally worth every second. The music music itself is worth waiting for. You know, (laughs) it's... It's, it's, it's beyond me. And then that brings us to 1981 on Golden Pond. So those are the four films we kind of highlighted uh, that they all kind of seem like, you know, when you look up on IMDb, they're the first four films that pop up for Fonda. It's for a reason, right? Uh, did, did you have a favorite? Uh, definitely Once Upon a Time in the West. That, <laughs> let's, he... let's talk about it now. Let's talk about it now because it's not, an, it's not really a, you know, he wasn't up, right? unbelievably he wasn't nominated for that movie uh ridiculous so yeah let's just talk about it now how awesome it is yeah this would you know if uh if 12 angry men grapes of wrath and on golden pond were you know homework once upon a time the west was recess <laughs> and we, yes that's exactly. just gravy so we uh, we really wanted to do that sergio leone 1968 classic the same guy behind clint eastwood's man with no name trilogy and a, a director who really only became like as respected as he was way after these films came out. I mean, these were spaghetti Westerns. These were Italian Westerns in America. They did not really take a foothold for a while. 
thanks to John Wayne and his, you know, clean shaven, lily white westerns. In these movies, this is the gritty American West where people live and die by the gun. Like this is, you know, kill or be killed. This is gunslingers and dirty shirts and unshaven bastards and just un an unforgiving landscape. There, it's the West, <laughs> and nobody yes. captured that like Leone. <laughs> Once upon a time, the West features career-defining performances from Henry Fonda, Charles Bronson, and Jason Robards. Yes. As gunslingers of the West, all with their own agendas, converging in this uh, a growing railroad town called Sweetwater. And it's all just a domino effect of bad shit <laughs> that just keeps building until we get the confrontation. And Henry Fonda plays the villain of the film, Frank, this remorseless, sadistic gun for hire who murdered Charles Bronson's brother and Bronson's been hunting him for like 40 years. <laughs> and he finally yeah. found him in Sweetwater. And it's such a badass buildup. The execution is fucking great. This is a movie that should be taught in film classes. And actually it is because that's where I first watched it. <laughs> and yeah, I, I fell in love immediately. I thought this was such a badass film. And Henry Fonda does such an incredible job as you know, playing a bastard. Just such a, like, there is no soul in his eyes. Frank is the, like, he's wearing all black. He's the devil of the Old West. Yeah. Fucking awesome. It's incredible. It very much reminded me of, uh, you know, how actors like, like Henry and someone like uh, Bogey, Humphrey Bogart, who plays his character. And we talked about Church of the Sierra Madre, where he just plays a real, real son of a bitch. <laughs> You know, and that's that's kind of what we live for as like an audience when you watch a uh, performer's filmography and you're, you're looking for these things and you see similarities and performances. And there's certainly times are fun. I mean, his voice, he could just use that voice till the end of time and it's going to work. And maybe it's a little repetitive, but holy shit, he changes pace and wants to time in the West. And it's definitely my favorite uh, through and through. I can't believe it took me this long to see it. I had obviously heard the soundtrack the score you know over and over uh, Ennio is <laughs> the guy is something else and really with this format is going to get his own episode one day just based around his his contribution uh musically to you know to to the Oscars and, and to film in general uh you know and rest in peace you know he's left left us not not too long ago and it, it, it's just a reminder every time you watch one of these films that has his touch on it. He's probably the best. <laughs> yeah. And Neil Morcone had a sound all his own. It very much defined a generation. And um, the guy was, you know, he's doing music up into his nineties. He won his first Oscar for the hateful eight. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> Which are obvious, obviously if you've been a listener with, you know, film guys and productions, anything we've done, it's, you know, no secret we love tarantino just so to see that partnership happen in 2015 was beyond special it was uh, um that theatrical experience i'll never forget i still think that movie's underrated uh one day it'll get brought up here i'm sure <laughs> uh so let, let's talk a bit about let's go to the first one grapes of wrath let's let's talk a little bit more about that one just how grueling of a story it is right have you have you read have you read the book no 
I have not. I, I never had to in school. I did read of Mice and Men for talking Steinbeck, but I did not have to read The Grapes of Wrath. And it never just, I never did it on my own. Yeah, it's got a little bit more meat than uh, Mice and Men, a little bit longer, but uh, both, both those books are great, right? And it's, it's certainly one that I think pairs with the movie really well. And I think Fonda is capturing things that, things that jump off the page, you know, when you're reading, reading any kind of fiction, uh, you know, in your, a guy like Steinbeck, right. And you're reading a story of his, that just leaps off the page. And Fonda does that on the screen. He, he's just got to look, he's got to look, he's got a, a superstar look and it makes sense that a career followed, you know, yeah. for, for fucking 40 years. It makes sense. Well, the character of Tom Jode is the American everyman of the great depression era. He's, you know, yeah. a Midwest farmer recently uh, released from prison for uh, second degree murder. He's trying to get his life back together and he doesn't realize the, the country fell apart while he was gone. And the whole movie is his family trying to find anything, anything that can resemble hope or you know, work, just anything to get them out of this nightmare. And the nightmare just gets worse. And it's a, it's a very, it's a very unforgiving movie for 1940. Like I never, I didn't yeah. expect this film to, you know, not have that happy ending to, I mean, I've heard the book is considerably darker and they had to really kind of trim it for the Hayes code. Yes. Uh, yeah. But, it, but, it, but for 1940, you understand, you know, it, it, it's impactful. Incredibly impactful. It really kind of makes you think about it. I found it oddly relatable for the state of the country today, especially, you know, the psycho cops attacking people. Like it just, it brought a lot. It just made me think like nothing has fucking changed in this country in a hundred years. Like nothing. We're still like economically fucked up and the cops are killing everybody. Yeah. It's a sad movie, folks. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's definitely one that, you know, I, I felt when we talked about 1940, we missed, you know, we missed out on. Uh, yeah. And rightly, rightly so. But uh, this show, uh, this Oscar Sunday show, as it, as it comes, keeps and keeps going um, every week, it's going to, things are going to start kind of tangling together. And that's great because we can kind of recall how we feel about something or rewatch something or watch something we didn't get to check, check out, uh, when we first went around that went around that year, and when, when Fonda came up, you and I felt like, oh, here we go. Uh, let's go ahead and do his first Oscar nomination. I'm not going to say he should have won, but I he definitely deserved the nomination for Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, I, yes. I, um, I loved Jimmy Stewart's performance in the Philadelphia Story. I know, I, I, I know. I like that win. I personally would go Chaplin and the Great Dictator. We all know that he's great. And honestly, any of those guys taking the gold is fine with me. They're just there. It was a great year for performances. It really is. 1940 is, uh, I encourage anyone who wants to start somewhere like uh, w with Oscar history, if they want to start in a specific year and they don't, Oh, I don't know where to go. There's so many movies because it is daunting. 1940 is a cool year to go to as far as old ones. And if you want to go to 1939, it's one of the greatest, uh, you know, in most controversial film years ever. So 1939 is, is special. We'll certainly tackle that in some way uh, in the near future. Uh, let's let's uh, talk a bit about, we'll, we'll skip over 12 and your men because we're going to be talking a lot about that one here throughout this episode. Uh, fantastic movie. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk about On Golden Pond. How, how did you watch this one? 
Um, it is on HBO Max. Um, yes, that's that's what I that's what I did as well. I was just curious. I couldn't remember if you uh, own it or not. I don't. I have seen this film once before. Uh, Me too. Yeah. And it's just it's a very uh, it's a very sweet movie. It's uh, one of the final performances of. Well, it is Henry Fonda's final performance, but it's also one of Catherine Hepburn's final performances. Yes, and, uh, they both took home the gold for this. Yeah, it's it's special in that way, right? For history's sake, it's these two titans going out on top so it's it's cool it's a it's a film about you know an estranged family trying to make it work it's you know finding that love again it's something we can all kind of you know we've all had family issues at one point or another and films like this remind you that we only have so long on this planet so make it worth your while you know don't let hate fuck up your relationship with your kids and uh they're just so nice. They're like, they reminded me so much of my grandparents. It just, it made me cry. I couldn't, I, every time I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's too, it gets too personal. Classic cinema. Oh, sweet movie. Uh, those was, are, those, those are two legends. I mean, yeah. I, you can't, you, you could watch them all day and, you know, certainly they break through that generation barrier where folks like your grandparents can watch this movie and be like, ah, oh my God, legends. And then you and I can watch them. Oh goddamn fucking legends! You know it's just they they've just broken through time. They're timeless. They're legends for a reason. I mean, Catherine, the queen, uh, arguably, you know, the the woman who could go against Meryl Streep, right? You know, Meryl has the twenty one nominations and the three wins. Well, Catherine has twelve and four. So, (laughs) you know, the efficiency is there. Yeah, and she's just so special. And we'll get her own fucking two parter one day. adore i adore her presence me too i've seen i've seen a good chunk of her stuff now yeah yeah she's immensely talented and she can play you know in her early years she played kind of like the uh femme fatale kind of character who's like you know Uh in it for herself kind of seductive and then in her later years she was the you know sweet grandma who you just believed was a good person (laughs) she she yeah on every, in every generation, like in every decade of her life at, that she was an actress, she had something special that she brought to her performances and really just kept making her mark. That's yes. why she went home. You know, that's why her career has those four wins. No one, no other, no other actor in history has four wins. Yeah, she has the most wins ever. You know, Jack Nicholson for, for males has, you know, 12 and three. You know, touche, Sir Jack. I, you know, yeah, Catherine arguably could be looked at as the most you know most important performer in oscar history um the one who kind of transcends old to new you know just went through all of those decades and as a woman you know i mean surely she she fought you know horrible things throughout her career and i'm I'm sure she great adversity and kept winning, kept dominating, and kept bringing, bringing an incredible presence to the screen. Well, she's one of the few female actors in the 1930s, 40s who was wearing pants. That alone was considered controversial back then. Yes. And she said, fuck you, I am who I am. I love that. I love that so much. She stood up for herself constantly and never let anybody dictate who she was. And this was in a decade where women were stepped on so much in Hollywood. Yeah. Like in the beginning, like 
they were basically window, like, you know, they were basically set decorations. And Catherine Hepper came along and said, no, you hired me. I'm going to act and I'm going to wear pants. So fuck off. Yeah. This is better for my character. And she paves the way for so many, you know, the Meryl Streep's, you know, the Francis McDormand's, the Regina King's, these women who are like just themselves, yeah. unapologetically themselves all the time. It's awesome. She was even winning act other actresses Oscars in death. Kate Blanchett won her first Oscar for playing Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator. So yeah, 2004. Yeah, given. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll save her for her. Obviously, she's very important. Uh, and On Golden Pond is an important movie for that for that matter. But let's talk a bit about Twelve Angry Men. So let's shift over to the 30th Academy Awards. And this is, you know, this is in 1958. And the, the winner of this, the, you know, this show is The Bridge on River Kwai, right? Yeah. This is a movie that I just bought. Both of us have seen. Holy shit. Unbelievable movie, you know. And, yes. and we, were, we were not able to see uh, Peyton Place, Sayonara, or Witness for the Prosecution. Yeah. But, but that's, uh, that's not totally what this show is about. For this episode, it's more about Fonda. So that's what we're going to talk about mostly. But I do want to go through what 12 Ringer Men was up for. So it was three total. What else do we got, Connor? We have Best Picture, obviously, Best Director for Sidney Lumet, and Best Adapted Screenplay, because this was based on a pilot for a t- like a teleplay for a TV show. Yes. Isn't it weird how like the Adapted Screenplay uh, rules are so stringent? Like If you wrote this as anything, even if it wasn't published it still counts. Yeah. Yeah. I would just lie, you know, like Like Damien Chazelle getting nominated because, you know, by basing the movie off of his own short film that he made because he couldn't get a feature film made. It was like, it was like a snake eating itself. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. We we got to talk about that, you know, in episode eight, talk a bit about whiplash and and that Damien Chazelle madness. Yeah. That that was silly. Well, uh, best adapted screenplay. Uh, the Bridge in the River Kwai pretty much dominated this Oscars. Uh, understandably, it's a great film. It's uh, a little divisive, I think. Oh, uh, for sure. For sure. A lot of people are kind of torn over Alec Guinness's like motivations and nobility in that film. I personally think he's a stubborn jackass who got a lot of people killed. But, yeah. you know, other people think he's a hero standing up for his own soldiers' right to not do manual labor. Uh, no. But we'll get we'll talk about that later on some other show. Yeah, well, yo, I mean, you know, we brought up uh, when we talked about five easy pieces, we talked about Patton, of course, and how that's a very divisive character who you kind of were split down the middle, right? You know, it's 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 so weird. It's not really gray with him, except for people like you and I, because we watch so many movies. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sure there's some listeners who relate to that. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Very true. Uh, so. Best Adapted Screenplay, we have Sayonara, Peyton Place, Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, 12 Angry Men, and The Bridge and the River Kwai, which won. And um, we had intended originally to do the five films that were up for Best Picture, but then we thought about it, we shifted our focus, and we kind of decided to put the show in a bit of a new direction to make it more bouncy and unpredictable. Yeah, and, and you know, with time, it'll make more sense, right? And at the end of this episode, we'll let you guys know what we're doing next week, just like usual. And you'll see then how it's going to yeah keep bouncing around in a different way. 
And also, Sayonara has been wiped off the face of the planet. <laughs> that film doesn't exist. No anymore. kidding. No kidding, right? And then Peyton Place, you and I were like, oh, shit. And then, of course, after we decided to do Fonda, we see it at Half Price Books for like $4. <laughs> God damn it. Yep. Them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. So, as far as story, uh, I honestly, I would give screenplay to, to 12 Angry Men. Oh, 100%. This, yeah. this to me is hands down one of the most important screenplays in, you know, in Hollywood, like history ever. It's one of those that if you love movies and you love, uh, what's a way to really, if you love guys like Aaron Sorkin, if you love, you know, the, the modern, you know, the, the Quentin Tarantino's, the Paul Thomas Anderson's, the guys you can, who can make you laugh in dark ways, you know, the guys who can really with their sentences, with their, with with their bars you know with their oomph and this movie has it hand over fist <laughs> original rose hand over fist this movie just constantly just like ha did you hear that shit and it's you know uh, famously operating in one room and with all these jurors they don't have names uh, on you know imdb i love that that was something that made me curious as a kid and it, yeah this movie to me if it was to win something it's gotta be the screenplay yeah i mean it is kind of amazing how they he can make these characters stand out without giving them names like yeah, yeah. one to twelve and it is a little confusing at times to like you figure out like all right that's that guy a couple of them kind of look alike <laughs> but yeah. um that's yeah the for sure for sure <laughs> the 50s man every white guy looked like every other white guy in the 50s that's why those that's why those you know the Lee Jacobs just pop, you know, yes. the, 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 the bogeys like bogey pops, you know, uh, mm-hmm. there, there's definitely, there's definitely specific guys, but you're, you're right. And this movie, if you are not uh, aware of which guys, which one's Fonda, which one's Lee <laughs> Jacobs, you know, then yeah, you're, you're just, you're fucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, then we have best director. Uh, it's a pretty loaded bunch here. We've got Billy Wilder. Witness for the Prosecution, Joshua Logan for Sayonara, Mark Robson for Peyton Place, Sidney Lumet for 12 Angry Men, and the winner, David Lean for The Bridge on the River Kwai. And this was Sidney's first film, which I think is amazing that he was up for directing for his first film in 1957, went on to have one of the most distinguished careers in Hollywood history. Uh, and he lost to David Lean, who is considered kind of the master of the Hollywood epic. Yeah. I mean, that guy won like four Oscars in his career. Lawrence yeah. of Arabia, Bridge in the River Kwai. I think he did Dr. Zhivago. Like, yes, yeah. That guy could just make something sprawling. And uh, I totally see why he won director for this. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, Billy Wilder, you know, another Titan, eight nominations, two wins for director. Like, yeah, these are, this is a hard group. <laughs> yeah. This is hard. And you'll see on specific years, it it just happens that way sometimes. Sometimes you'll get three or four nominees within one group or holy shit, how did that happen within one year? You know, <laughs> I, I, I think last year, I think 2019 was very, very special in the sense that, you know, Tarantino and Bong Joon-ho and Martin Scorsese and Noah Baumbach, all these, you know, and, and then if you're like a horror guy, you know, Eggers and Ari Aster, these these Jordan Peele, all these cats came out with movies like holy shit in the same year. That's I love when that happens. And this looks like it's one of those years for for the fifties. 
For sure, for sure. And I do think that the right films did not get everything they deserved this year. Uh, I've heard Peyton Place is a snooze fest and like really kind of ridiculous. Sounds so, sounds like it looks like it when I looked at it on on, on uh, IMDb. It's the only film like in Oscar history that I've ever heard of that spawned a soap opera. <laughs> so that alone tells me is this really is this belong here? This is not our kind of movie. <laughs> Two and a half hours of just people in a building somewhere just screwing with each other's lives. No. Compared to this epic war movie versus this epic courtroom drama. Get get out of here. Get, get the Come on. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> Do not let the door hit your ass. Come on. on. You pig fuck. God damn. Well... <laughs> People with no frame of reference are going to be like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. If you've seen 12 Angry Men, you've seen The Master. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. If you're listening to this show every week, we, ex- we have a certain image of who you are. <laughs> you're like us. You care. So thank you. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. I, I mean, I just admitted, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago that I hadn't seen Once Upon a Time in the West. Until four or five days ago. So true. Shit happens. Shit happens. But now you have. So welcome to the team. <laughs> That's the way welcome, I see it. It's like welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, you know, like uh the like you something like the master, you know, you should you should check out some Orson Welles work before you watch the master, because then you'll see what PTA is really trying to do, you know, and what who he's really trying to emulate, I think, and the camera, the, mostly the camera work. I'm not not necessarily saying his story telling, yeah. but the, the the way the camera works. I I love that stuff with you know how things mash. And Twelve Angry Men. Jesus, this is a movie that has obviously influenced you know courtroom dramas, uh, anything that where there's a lot of talking. Which again, Aaron Sorkin, yep. <laughs> right? Uh, it's this guy, this this movie and Fauna's performance. It's still so relevant to today. Yeah, very much. This is a film about, you know, what exactly does a reasonable doubt mean? Like, how sure can you be to send somebody to their death as a juror? You know, it's a thing that we kind of all have to do at some point, jury duty, but we never really understand the full importance of that job. It is up to us to determine a person's guilt or innocence based on the evidence, and then we decide what their sentence is. That is, that's, that's that's a lot on your shoulders, especially when it's a murder trial. And you need to be certain. And Henry Fonda wanted to be sure. He didn't necessarily say, you know, I think he's innocent. He just said, we need to talk about this. Yeah, let's have a discussion. This is this man. This is about this man's life. Yeah. And it's, it's a fascinating way to take it. And we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, um, which, which, which I, you know, the reason I brought him up again and kind of rambled a bit, but brought him up again is he should be in there for best actor. He, he should, should be. He should. There's a few and, uh, actors who should be in here. It's hard because yeah, I do think I think him and Lee J. Cobb are like 100% should be in there. And I don't know if you make Lee J. Cobb best supporting for juror number uh, three. Yeah. And, and then you give Henry Fonda, juror number eight, best actor. Because it's hard to say because we haven't seen all of these, but come on, man. Like, it, it's hard to believe. Yeah, it is. And I would have liked to have seen uh, at least Witness for the Prosecution. And you know, these are films that'll come up on this show again at some point, I'm sure. That's what we're doing. We're creating a uh, yeah a canon here where we'll have a way to revisit them and talk about them in an easy way. 
I just, I, I don't know. I mean, Marlon Brando, I'm not going to say much about him because that guy's a legend. I'm not going to take away one of his nominations, but, and Anthony Quinn, I know he, he's a guy with a lot of nominations as well, but shit. Not- I, it's hard to, it's hard to believe. True. And then, you know, I know Charles Lawton, also a very, you know, big yep. name of that time. Yep. I never heard of Anthony Francoisa or whatever his name is. <laughs> a hat full of rain as Polo Pope. I don't like his name. I don't like the name of that movie. So let's throw him out and put Henry Fonda in there. <laughs> that's the basis. That's all the basis of my research there. Jesus, a hat full yeah. of rain sounds like a very pretentious art film. Or a shitty musical. Yeah. Let me, let me double check. What do we got here? Drama about a young married man with a secret morphine addiction based on a 1955 Broadway play of the same name. Whoa. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe that might be something. Yeah. yeah that might, that, you, you know, actually, you know, as we go down this path, I'll bring up next, uh, I'll bring up last year again. A film I haven't seen yet is Pain and Glory. I'm dying to see it. Pedro Olmovadar's movie. Um, Antonio Banderas is nominated for Best Actor, right? Yeah. And that's the one where you're like, ah. But it's like, yeah, but nobody's seen it, so nobody can really say. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And that shit always happens. I'm dying to see that that movie. One day I will. I there's just always so much on the mind, you know, for for movies. So one day, one day maybe we'll do a uh, a Pedro little little talk because he's had he's had all kinds of you know films that have been really really impactful on you know on culture and, and then just you know as a as foreign films yeah i'm down for that yeah we'll definitely look into that um and that takes us to best picture we have yes sir witness for the prosecution sayonara peyton place 12 angry men and the winner the bridge on the river kwai uh yeah i understand why bridge on the river kwai won this award it's a very epic movie it's a you know a film about loyalty, a film about identity, and very much just kind of the horrors of war. I get it. I'm okay with that. 12 Angry Men, very close second. And if you, you know, if you swapped them, I'm okay with that. These other three films, just from what I've learned, you know, learned and read, Peyton Place, I don't think deserves to be here. Sayonara, I would love to see if I can ever find some copy of it. And then Witness for the Prosecution looks very good too. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know m- makes me really curious because we have the same five for best picture, same five for, for best director. So certainly, uh, yeah, something I want to have perspective on. I, I prefer the hour and thirty six minute and twelve finger men. <laughs> really, really tight. Knows exactly what it's trying to say, while at the same time not being like, "This is how it is," you know it. Yeah. It's a smart film filled with pretty much everybody's perfect in it, every performance. And then there's a couple like, you know, 11 out of 10 performances. I just, I I would have to give that the edge over Bridge on the River Kwai, but I also understand it. I I feel similarly to the 1975 Easy Pieces to Patton. I get it. I get it. I get taking the epic, the like war piece, you know, I get it, but. I think sometimes it's uh, impactful to take the one that's a little bit more simple and knows exactly what it's saying. The Oscars have always loved war films and musicals. That's, that's why this time. year was, that's why this year was not only entertaining as hell to see Bong Joon-ho go on stage over and over, but it was so special to see it go head to head with 1917, a World War One movie and beat it and fucking beat it, you know? 
that's that's huge because <laughs> like you're that doesn't ha- that hasn't happened before that doesn't that shit doesn't happen you know there's huge one you know Patton uh uh platoon 1986 you know there, there's plenty of ones that have just straight up won just war movies and so it's it's very hard to beat those hell yeah man absolutely it is cool when the little guy does take it, it we've as we've seen in you know 20 episodes in it doesn't happen very often no no but when it does happen it is nice and it would have been cool to see it happen this time but uh Hypothetically, if Henry Fonda had been in the Best Actor bunch, would you still give Best Actor to Alec Guinness, or would Henry Fonda take it for you? That's hard. <laughs> I think I, I think I'd give it to Fonda, and I would certainly i I don't have an I I can't say anything about red buttons, but I, I mean Lee Jacob, Jesus fucking Christ! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lee Jacob deserved a nod for this. Yeah, and and. It's one of those where it's like, oh, I, I, I kind of go tunnel vision. I'm like, he should have won. He should have won. It's how I feel about J.K. Simmons. Like, there's no other. Why would I look any other way? Yeah. J.K. Simmons, 2014, best performance. You know, that kind of, that's how I feel about this the Lee J. Cobb thing uh, in 12 Bigger Man as jury, jury number three. He's just, he's lights out. He's such a prick. Just everything. He's so antagonistic for no reason. Until the end where you find out, you know, exactly why he's so against this kid. It's his own personal fuck-ups. But just, like, his reaction to everything, you know? He's guilty. You know he's guilty. You're just, you're letting him slip through our fingers. It's, his, he's at 11 the whole time. It's, it's Yeah, yeah. He, he, re- he really is. Yeah, for sure. I, can, I don't get why he wasn't up. Well, that's that's such that's, that's shit, you know? Uh, I mean, we, again, I'll bring up Bogey, 1948. <laughs> What are y'all? What are y'all watching? <laughs> <laughs> yes, man. Oh. Uh, we love the Oscars, but we also hate them. <laughs> yes, very much a the fucked up toxic relationship. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Very the Oscars like manipulate us. Yeah, they manipulate us. We bitch them out, but we always come back. <laughs> yeah, the the Oscars are emotionally abusive to us. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it sucks. It sucks. But it's also it's. It's also fun, and uh, you know that's why I, part of this show is to hone in on a film and give awards ourselves. And we are going to change these awards to. We're going to have names for these fuckers. You know, uh, we're sticking with four. I think that's the best route to go, right? I think yeah. keeping at the a four kind of you know this basic, unless something really pops out to us. But for now, it's still going to be uh, best line slash quote music moment performance and scene but we have we have names for those connor would you like to introduce the names of these four awards sure 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 why not so for best line um we are now going to be calling it the quentin tarantino award yes <laughs> the king of dialogue the man who whose stories are just so captivating whose lines are unforgettable who better to name our best lion award after yeah and he has you know for uh, uh he's obviously we're huge fans but and this is our show so we're going to name it according tarantino award but he does have four nominations and two wins for writing yeah hell yeah two very well deserved wins he should have more in my opinion but i'll take the two yes i'll i yes we'll certainly take the two <laughs> 
Our best music moment is now going to be known as the Ennio Morricone Award. Yep. One of the undisputed masters of establishing mood with music. And a man we recently lost, and he will live on in this podcast in the best way we know how to represent him, music. Yes. So, yeah. Well, I, of course. Uh, and another, another guy who we talked about earlier won an Oscar. So not just, not just some dude. This is <laughs> Enyo, the yeah. beast, the legend, the titan. Hell yeah. Best performance is now going to be known as the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award. PSH, the king of characters, lost way too soon, gave us so many incredible performances in his career. And he will be the guy representing our best performance award. If you listen to the Film Guys and Podcast, you know we did an intense 50th episode uh, extravaganza this past January on his career. And uh, yeah, we love that guy and he will we'll never stop talking about him. Yeah, he's the man. And four nominations, one win at the Oscars. Uh, died at 46 years old, like Connor said. Gone way too soon. Uh, certainly one of the most powerful performers of our of, of this of this century and a guy that we got to grow up going to the movies and watching uh how lucky were we oh yeah certainly deserving of of having an award named after him god bless damn straight and to finish that finish our awards off the best scene will now be known as the roger deakins award and roger deakins is maybe the most celebrated cinematographer in film history didn't get his due for decades until his first win in 2017 for Blade Runner 2049 and his second for 1917. He's the man behind the camera and he's going to be the guy representing our best scene award. Hell yeah. Uh, we, we love him. The guy is... He, he, he loves film, mostly. He has his own fucking podcast where he talks about his work and brings guests on and it's an incredible listen. Highly suggest anyone who likes movies i assume you do if you're listening to this to, to check that out the guy is yeah he's essential uh 15 nominations is it oh my god i think so i think yeah. it's i think it's 15 14 or 15 and two wins uh yeah come on what, what he did on 1917 is, is some of his best work the stuff he does with the cohen's oh you know it's one of the greatest <laughs> pairings of a, a cinematographer and a and a writing directors you know the cohen's and deacons so yeah i feel i feel very very right calling it that oh yeah man this is uh this is good i like this i like showing some love to the guys who craft the films that we love so much hell yeah and i'm gonna go ahead and let you start us off what's your tarantino my selection for the tarantino award was <laughs> it's really hard to find a best line from this film a, the screenplay is gold. B, my DVD copy has no subtitles. <laughs> so I, and that, that's become such a like comfort to me that when I don't have it, I get in the zone of like, oh, fuck, can I hear them? Am I deaf? I don't know. <laughs> what did you just say? But the line I did love, I don't remember who, <laughs> I don't remember who said this because everyone doesn't have a name, but they were talking about the kids inability to speak like educated they were talking about this kid's not educated so why should we give a shit about his position in society and one of the guys says he don't even speak good english and somebody corrected him says um he doesn't even speak good english 
Oh, I'm gonna find that. That would that that'll be on IMDb. I know. Ah, who does say that? It was just such a like ah knife Ugh. in the gut moment of like yeah, fuck you. <laughs> I'm gonna find that while while I while I tell you mine, explain mine, and it's it's between Fonda and Cobb. My 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 uh, Tarantino award. It's uh, Fonda juror number eight is is speaking and he's saying you know. Has anyone have any idea how long it would take? And he's interrupted because he sees juror number three and I believe juror number, mm, I don't know, nine. Uh, they're playing a game and yeah. juror, number th- juror number three, Lee Jacob screams, hey! And then fucking Fonda looks right at him and says, this isn't a game. Oh. Yeah, that was nice. That was nice. Oh, man. That's like, <laughs> and Fonda has a voice, again, his voice, you know, in people who are familiar with this work, you know, know what we're talking about when we bring that up. It's one of the most like peer pitched. You can hear every single word he says, no matter, no matter how fast he's talking, if he's talking slow or quick, medium pace, fast pace, quick yelling, you can hear every goddamn word. And that's, that's, that's really special to find out of a guy. Hell yeah. He commands the screen. With his, you know, just the way he holds himself, the way he conducts himself, you you understand who the lead actor is. Yes, hundred percent. And the, uh, the the lines that I picked were between juror number ten, Ed Beagley, the old man, and juror yes. number eleven, George Voskovic, the foreign guy. The foreign yes. guy corrects the old guy and how to speak English. That's why I loved it so much. Beautiful. I see that right here on on the quotes in IMDb. Yeah. There's so many. You could just go to the quotes page on IMDb and just read through and you'll just start laughing at how amazing some of the dialogue is. And uh, before we get ahead of ourselves, I did want to point out that 12 Angry Men has an IMDb score of 8.9 and a yes. unbelievable Rotten Tomatoes score of 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a titan. One of those films that everyone just understands is quintessential to cinema itself. It is the number five highest ranked I- film on IMDb. Isn't that crazy? I mean, IMDb's rankings, they have, let's see, they have Shawshank number one, Godfather, Godfather part two, The Dark Knight, and 12 Anger Men. That's the top five. Like, whoa, that's such a, that's a wild top five. Yeah, man. Jesus. I love IMDb's weird ranking system. It's just films <laughs> up there you never would think or would be anywhere in a top 10. You're like, you're like what? Yeah, then Chandler's List, Lord of the Rings, Pulp Fiction, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Lord of the Rings again. What the hell? <laughs> Fantastic. It's awesome. Yeah, it's fan- It's great. <laughs> what is your Morricone? You know, I've, I've, I flirted with this one quite a bit. And I searched for the name of the song. I actually was doing this before we started recording. And I think it's actually right here on IMDb. It's the, it's the song that plays uh, uh, with the credits. Uh, which, which would be... I don't want to give away my, uh, my, my Deacons. <laughs> But it's what it's it's what follows after that, you know, is the 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 finale of this movie and the music playing during the credits. It actually, I think, is the only song credited on IMDb for Twelve Anger Men. So if I can find that, I will tell you the name while you explain your Enyo Award. My Enyo Award is the ending where they leave the room. Oh, <laughs> that's great! And the song plays. It's the same. Yep. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I can. I'm trying to find it right now, my man. I cannot. It's such a soundtrack. Ah, uh, Dance of the Cuckoos. That's maybe? appropriate. 
Yeah, that that might be right. That's the only one that's listed here. Uh, that's probably the, it. Yeah, that must that must be it. Yeah. Uh, again, hopefully you've seen this movie, so you have reference to what we're talking about. But these these final stages, we'll we'll, we'll get to it. So, what's your what's your PSH? My PSH. So, my, the best performance in this movie, I think we've already kind of talked about him a lot. For me, it goes to Lee Jacob. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Same. Same here. here. Yeah, juror number three, Lee J. Cobb, is the most aggressive in the room. He's the one who does not want to fold. And he is the one who, he's the last one to break, right? And, oh, Jesus, this guy. Obviously, we love him in The Exorcist, right? Yeah, yeah. But this this is a performance where when you've seen so many movies and you you realize this is an actor doing these things and trying to become this person and you're, you're aware of that and self-conscious of it while you're watching a movie and lee j cobb takes that breaks that in half he breaks that in half and kind of puts you into that little kid zone where you're just staring at the screen kind of like oh how, how is he doing that you know yeah how is he doing that stuff and there's there's certain performances out there and there's some that we've covered here i think what jack nicholson is doing in five easy pieces is is unreal but the evil side of lee j cobb the tenacity un, you know the un <laughs> unrelenting desire to just be the dickhead in the room is it's so impressive to be on you know 11 out of 10 the whole movie the whole time it's incredible why'd you choose him because he's such a great counterpoint to henry fonda henry fonda is like the nicest guy in the room, the one person who really wants to and needs to do the right thing. Whereas Lee J. Cobb is just going, fuck him the entire time. Just like, yeah, why should, why should I care? He's not my kid. My kid ran off. <laughs> That's the whole point of this is he's t- treating this like it's his own personal vendetta. So he can like punish this kid for what his own son did to him in his eyes. And he doesn't realize that until the end of the film, but everyone fucking knows it. And Ugh. just every little, th- all the evidence that Henry Fonda brings up, all the circumstantial, you know, maybe they were wrong situations without even hearing them out. Cobb is just like, no, fuck that. We have all of this evidence. And they're like, well, we're poking holes in that. He's like, well, no, you can't poke holes in my evidence. It's mine. It's so weirdly aggressive. And it's such a strange thing to attach yourself to like i will not relent no matter what it's such a strange it's the worst type of person it's you know the stubborn jackass with baggage yes yes and and that's great because i definitely interpreted with his character he with that baggage he's he's one of those guys who i i feel like i've met so many and ran into so many of uh, so many people like this that that are they're not thinking uh, very clearly at any given moment because they're always they're under all this stress and they feel like they have to keep moving you know keep working keep doing this keep doing that and like have no time to sleep and lee j cobb seems like this kind of a guy who's just unhinged and stressed out to the you know to the core where he's about to like lose his hair and you feel like you run into people like that who just you just fucking slow down and think for a second you know like calm down and lee j cobb captures that part of humans so well it's this this 
performance while he's this douchebag is humanizing in some way because he you can fucking feel the pain and the his past you can just feel it within this one room that he's inside of because that's that's how good of an actor he is he's just taking up all of the space there's there's times where you just don't even really care who else is on the screen. You know, there's eight other dudes in the frame and you're just looking at juror number three. You're just looking at what, what is he about to do? What is, what is Lee J. Kyle about to do? I, I felt that way the whole time rewatching this movie, man. I yeah, got certainly deserves this PSA, P, uh, PSH award. And I'm glad he's the first one to get it from both of us. Throughout his performance. I, I got this vibe that he's at the bottom of the totem pole at his job. He has yeah, no yeah. power. He has no respect. And this is his opportunity to fuck someone else. This is his power. This is him in a position of, I hold life and death in my hands and I'm choosing death because fuck everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely how I interpret it. Definitely that way. He's just got this weight. Yeah. Got the it. weight of the, the weight of the world kind of thing, right? Where the weight of the world, but when like, almost like you don't give a shit that you have that power. You just want to see someone else suffer. Yeah. Yeah. For suffering's sake, you, you just want to fight fire with fire just to be a dick rather than try to fix something and come up with the solution. Yeah. It's because he views, you know, Oof. his own relationship with his son. He views fixing as a weakness as accepting defeat. You know, if he's the first one to reach out, that means admitting he was the problem and he refuses to do that. And it's, ugh, there's so much that you can just, there's so much to vibe off this guy. Lee J. Cobb yeah, puts yeah. so much into his performance that you just understand where this guy's coming from, who he is, why he's like this. It's, it's such a fat, lights out performance. I really don't understand why he wasn't considered. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Uh, yeah. He, I knew that would happen. I kind of knew that would happen. And obviously as this episode's gone along, it's been no secret that we're both very into this performance. So that, that brings us to the Deacons. Um, I'm curious, what'd you, what'd you pick here? What's your favorite moment, favorite scene? What, what, what is it? So my scene, I, I was into this movie and then this scene happened and I audibly went, what? And that's when I was like, all right, this is going to be a masterpiece. And it's the scene where they're arguing about the, the pocket knife, mm. about the switchblade. And everyone's like, it's a very distinct knife. Somebody like there's no way anybody else would have a knife that looks exactly like that. It had to have been the kid's knife. And Fonda just stands up and takes an identical replica out of his pocket and puts it in the table. I was like, Jesus, what? How? Who? What? <laughs> I was like, this guy's gonna convince all of them. Right there, I was like, this is this is gonna be special. Yeah, that's such a good point. Uh, especially at the, the the timing of that scene, right? The timing of that moment. Yeah. What now? Damn. Dropping the mic, 50s style. Just- yes. King me. <laughs> Goddamn. And everyone's just like, what? like, he renders them all speechless except for Lee J. Cobb. He's like, well, what does that prove? <laughs> oh, so good. I love it. Right. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. I considered it. I wrote down, I wrote down a few and then finally cut them all today and just went with my gut. And it's the, it's juror number three breakdown um, at the end when he, when Lee J. Cobb finally is like, fuck. And he visibly and audibly, you know, is like, just like, oh, just defeated. And puts his, you know, puts his arms on the table like he's an eighth grader trying to sleep through third period. Just boom. And 
there no there's nothing like there's nothing like that scene capping off a movie like that capping off a performance like that capping off a story like that just per- perfection god this movie this movie's really good <laughs> well and his whole you know speech beforehand where he's like you know these damn kids you do everything for them and then they just turn their back on you like it's it's all it's all about him it, you know that from the get-go but he's finally seeing the light where he's like i can't do this like yeah well yes yeah, it's anymore. it's that classic if you and i are arguing right and then i'm like oh god he's right fuck 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 I can either say, oh, you're right, man. You know, I can jump out and say that or I can keep digging backwards, you know, keep going backwards, keep going back. And you can just you can just pin me up into the, you know, into the corner. And that's what this movie is, is doing to him. And he just he's like a fucking 45 year old mom on Facebook that just won't stop arguing. You know, (laughs) give it, give it up. (laughs) He's a Karen. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, he, he truly is. You know, this character should be studied, you know, and, and I know this movie is, is huge for, for cinematic history. And obviously it's ranked number five on IMDb. That's, that's wild right behind the dark Knight. <laughs> Amazing. And, and I just, I hope people uh, rewatch it and feel the need to watch Lee J. Cobb. Cause this guy is doing some special shit. Of course, we've talked a lot about him. Uh, Fonda is no walk in the park. You know, this guy is doing great stuff and he has to counter Lee J. Cobb's madness. Uh, geez, that's, that's not easy to do. And I, I highly respect that, but Lee J. Cobb kind of wins the show here. True. There's one, one other thing I wanted to talk about with this movie. Uh, yeah. The ending. I Hell found yes. the, I found the ending to be very ominous, like surprisingly ominous where they all kind of, you know, they work through the evidence. They all agreed. Yeah. It's circumstantial. There's, there is a reasonable doubt, not guilty. But the music and the, like, the lighting and it's the way it's filmed kind of suggests, did they do the right thing? Like, could they have actually, like, did the guy, did the kid kill his father? Did this really, did they fuck it up? Because you kind of get, I, I got that vibe of like, this could have gone either way. And I don't know if it went the right way. And it comes up a lot in the movie. Like, what if you're wrong? Yeah, well, that's 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 for sure a part of the film. One of the cool aspects of it, one of my favorite aspects of a lot of movies that use one setting, one room, where you don't see the action of the other stuff that happened. You're in the same boat as them. And like you said at the top of the show, when we're talking about just the fucking the law, you can't you can't say a guy's guilty until you know it's it's a hundred percent. So we are one of the 12 angry. <laughs> we really are. It's one of the movies that puts you, puts you in the room. It puts you there and you're forced to kind of be like, fuck the system's kind of built this way to just kind of be like, Oh, I don't know. And that's, that's, I love that you bring that up. That's definitely one of the best aspects of this film altogether. And I, and Henry Fonda's character is the one who in, embraces the american aspects of, of that law system of oh wait a minute shouldn't we make sure you know that that that's a that's american that's really really american to be to question something to say hold on i think maybe this way would be better that's like one of the most american things you can do right and i love that fauna's character is taking that right within being a juror taking that right and using it even though he knows he's going to lose a whole day out of it i I, I love that. I love that. But Lumet suggests that 
all of that might have been for naught, that this kid might have actually gotten away with murder. Yeah. It, yeah. All that's... of the evidence really is up to you to decide. Like it's very interpretive. And the, the ending really kind of can go either way. It can be a very happy ending for this kid or a super sad ending for justice, depending on how you look at yeah, it. Exactly. And that, that's something big picture. You need to see the movie a couple times, read a little bit about it and understand, you know, understand film. It, it's amazing how many different ways you can look at it. You can really just watch the performances and be like, whoa, what a screenplay. Or this conversation here is more interesting to me of how important this film is to, to movies forever and how important it is still today of using that, that kind of grayness. Oh, it's kind of up to you. It's kind of the audience. You're now a member of the movie. You're now a part of the movie. That's amazing to do that with these incredible actors and this incredible script and make me feel like I'm sort of a part of it. Wow. That's, that's an experience. And uh, 12 angry men is certainly an experience. For sure. Just out of curiosity, we, Lee Jacob has come up a lot uh, just lately and stuff we've watched for, for this, for both of these podcasts. Uh-huh. I was curious, which performance do you like more? Juror number three or Johnny friendly from on the waterfront? Lee Jacob. Juror number three. Um, God, I thought for a second about it, but, but, but juror number three on the waterfront. Holy boy. Oh, <laughs> well, and, and, and I'm, I love the exorcist, you know, uh, if you have three performances like that inside of three movies like that, you're a hall of famer in my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I'd never heard his name before we started doing this podcast. Like just getting to know, these performance performers who just gave it their all in the early days of Hollywood in the 20th century during eras I've never really dug into. I'm mm-hmm. discovering entirely new performers that I fucking adore. And yeah, that's really what we're, cool. we're going to keep. That's what we're going to keep doing. Uh, it's going to be, be a way for you and I as friends and as uh, you know, partners here on this podcast to just go down that road and highlight things we love and watch things we've wanted to watch forever. That's the whole, that's the whole idea. And hopefully people uh, will enjoy it with us. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Uh, So I give 12 angry men an eight. I thought it was fantastic. I will definitely watch it again. It might go up, but a solid film. Yeah. I give it a nine. It's just stellar stuff, right? You know, I'm a sucker for that tight fucking, crazy and crazy incredible script i love love screenplays like that uh henry fonda is incredible lee j cobb obviously incredible uh classic could move up to a 10 one day for me it's one of those that i'll probably rewatch uh forever just like just like most fans of this movie so that's a lot of fun man uh henry fonda again i think our favorite uh together is once upon a time in the west he's awesome in that movie and that movie as a whole is just epic but uh is there anything else about fonda that you just want to talk about you know just uh just highlight about his career um I, there's a lot i'd like to still see i mean of we course. covered the highlights we don't know if there's any hidden gems out there i'm sure there are oh uh, i watched um i watched the best man from 1964 with him cliff robertson and Lee Tracy, who won Best Supporting uh, uh, Actor that year. 
that movie was pretty good political movie so i was it, it was on it's on criterion right now but yeah I, there's so many i want to see yeah I, the journey's not over for henry fonda that's all i i'd like to no. say well once upon a time in the west did not get any oscar attention you'll bet your ass we'll do it on filmgasm someday oh my gosh sergio deserves his own his own bonanza <laughs> he really does god his it, nobody did a western like sergio his westerns were, were unreal unlike anything anybody else was making at that time <laughs> incredible yeah i think i'm trying to see here there was a movie uh i was looking at his imdb henry fonda just uh, last night as i was kind of like what could we have done what else could we have thrown in there and i i just i'm not sure but there are so so many acting credits here a lot of tv movies a lot of tv shows i just i don't really know where to go oh fuck fail safe duh uh fail safe. of course i've seen that yeah 1964 that's a good movie so that's the same year as uh, the best man uh and he's those are both political movies he actually plays the president in fail safe so definitely suggest those um that's that's all i got man i don't really war and peace um mr roberts the wrong man the 10 star um yeah yeah man but we we covered his oscar stuff yes and that's and what that's, this show's about yeah that's that's mostly what we're gonna do here occasionally like here's an example um a guy we adore uh is like someone like gary oldman right we we love him love gary oldman he just has the he just has the win for darkest hour in the nomination for tinker Taylor soldier spy so for that, we'd probably throw in like a personal one, kind of like Once Upon a Time in the West. You know, something cool that we like, like Leon the Professional or, you know, State of Grace or True Romance, something crazy, whatever. Just to kind of, you know, give it more perspective. But we're going to try to stick with Oscar stuff. Stuff that's been touched by the Oscars, been nominated, gotten a win, whatever it may be. So ne- next week, next week's going to be a lot of fun. Oh my God. <laughs> Before we do that though, we got to talk about what happened this week in film. Oh, of course. Of course. Of course. Leave you, leave you teasing you a little bit more. <laughs> All right, my man. What, what, what did happen this week in film? More movies got pushed uh, to 2022 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, Fucking ridiculous at this point. Um, three trailers dropped that I'd like to discuss. Um, the first is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yes. Uh, the upcoming final film by Chadwick Boseman. Uh, Looks awesome. Viola Davis. It does look awesome. Uh, comes out on Netflix in December, just in time for Oscar season. They're saying Bozeman will likely get a posthumous nomination. It it does look like a very entertaining movie, but because of what happened to him, it's going to be fucking sad. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, but it is going to be an emotional roller coaster. I know that. Yeah, but I can't wait to see his face again. Love that. Love that man. Next up, uh, Disney's latest film uh, raya and the last dragon this uh new animated movie they're doing their first like original idea since zootopia <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous but uh it looks interesting it looks kind of like a you know fantasy like it's like disney doing crouching tiger hidden dragon and uh i'm on board yeah. I think it looks cute yeah no the animation looks incredible so yeah for sure I did, I did like Moana. Moana was the same year as Utopia. Both of those were pretty good. I didn't see Mo- I didn't I didn't see either of those actually. <laughs> Utopia is actually 
pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. I'm very behind on my Disney anime. I, I tend to seek out Pixar. Disney's stuff, I, I, I haven't watched their more recent stuff. I just, I, I watched Frozen and I didn't like it at all. Well, I have a one and a half year old daughter. So, you know. Yeah, of course. You're, you don't have a choice. <laughs> but yeah. I'll Zootopia, Zootopia is, I'm not just saying that. Zootopia is probably, I'm not counting Pixar take Pixar out of it because that, yeah, they have a few masterpieces. Zootopia is probably one of my five favorite, like Walt Disney animation studios movies, you know, from, from, from the old, old school stuff, Cinderella, all that shit to, yeah, to that crazy nineties run to the Lilo and stitch two thousands run. And then yeah, Zootopia, all that stuff. Zootopia is great voice work and it's like genuinely funny. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I'll, uh, I want to see it. I'll, it's it's on my list, so I will definitely get to it. It did win Best Animated Feature, so maybe you can force me to watch it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It, I, I just don't think, once you start watching it, you'll be like, I didn't need to be forced. This is really good. I'm sure I will. I'm sure. Because you you actually like, you know, there's, there's not a lot of people I can talk to about just, you know, animated movies in a really serious tone, but you're one of those people, and... I think you'll dig it. I there's one scene that kind of shouts out Godfather and it's fucking hilarious. So yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll dig it. Sweet. That's good. I, uh, I do like, I like Disney's, I like a lot of Disney movies and I do, I do need to catch up. Oh, well, this is a great show to talk about their stuff. Cause they've just been riddled with Oscar nominations for the past 30 years, you know? And then of course with the 2001 is when the, best animated uh, film award came in and then it just has dominated that award for the past 20 years. Best animated film should have been a category for a very long time. I don't know why they waited till <sighs> 2001 to do that. So many, but, no. but it's a great year to start. You have Shrek one, Jimmy Neutron and monsters Inc. That's fucking great. That is a great bunch. It's a great bunch. <laughs> and of course, Shrek takes that, but- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I love I love Monsters Inc. But Shrek is and and the Pixar stuff, the animation's just gorgeous, right? And Shrek, eh, the DreamWorks stuff doesn't look amazing, but Shrek is so funny, so so funny. Still holds up. It's great. Yeah, and it really brilliant. like it does a big old middle finger to Disney. I, I love that so much. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I definitely dig it. Uh, and then the final trailer I want to talk about is uh, News of the World. Uh, Tom Hanks. And Paul Greengrass uniting for a dramatic Western about stories and family. Looks very interesting. Comes out on Christmas. Yep. Hopefully. And um, yeah, very much looking forward to the news of the world. Uh, these are just, you know, setting the stage for Oscar season. These are the films to take a look at. These are the films to expect Buco nominations. Yes. Yes. And, you know, obviously this year is going to be going to be different, but. Yeah, there's gonna be an, there's gonna be an award show, and uh, we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about it on uh, Film Guys and Productions. So you just always be ready, always be trying to watch stuff and do your best. Is there is there anything newer that you've watched? You know, like from 2020. Is there anything recently that you've watched? Um, there might have been. Let me take a look. See. I watched so many movies that it's hard to keep track. I mean, of course, the Trial of the Chicago Seven. We just yes. was on was on Netflix recently, and that was just spectacular. 
if we're talking from this year, then that is the most recent newer thing I've watched. And it was fucking fantastic. Well, perfect. Because I think the best performance in that movie is Sasha Baron Cohen. mm, That's a toughie because there's so many great performances in that film. I want to go straight to uh, Mark Rylance personally, but yeah, Sasha was amazing. John Carroll Lynch was amazing. Eddie Redmayne was amazing. Jeremy Strong was amazing. John Carroll Lynch has my favorite scene, but Sasha, the whole movie, he's, whew, he's spot on. To me, that's the front runner for best picture right now. Yes. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. And maybe screenplay right now. Yeah. It's timely. It's amazing. It's going to, you know, it's talking about something that matters. It, this, it would be just fantastic for that to be the first best picture of this decade. Well, and yeah, and Sorkin, you know, this is a guy who's prolific, prolific. And so it'd be really cool to see him uh, with this writing and directing, taking it all on himself. Uh, You know, Steven Spielberg was apparently going to, you know, work on it with him. and was like, nah, man, you got this. Like, this is, (laughs) this is your baby. You got this. Like you you can handle it. And he fucking handled it. (laughs) Fantastic. Um. Some sad news. Uh, Jeff Bridges has announced that he has lymphoma. Yeah, fuck. As if this year could get any fucking worse. The dude has cancer. And the way he announced it on Twitter, he said, as the dude would say, new shit has come to light. Yeah. And he did say that they caught it early. The prognosis is good. He's undergoing treatment. I looked into lymphoma. It is treatable. So I'm hoping... Jeff Bridges gets through this. I do not want to lose Black Panther and the dude in the same year. I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Yeah, yeah. It, isn't it incredible how positive Jeff Bridges is all the time? God damn. I wish I had an ounce of that guy's optimism. I really do. He's just he's a, a shining light of weed and like country music. The guy is just the best. <laughs> he, yeah, God, I love him. I love him so much. One one of these days, don't worry. We'll talk about him for a good hour, hour and a half. Uh, again, we're gonna be showcasing people like this. You got anything else on this week in film? Oh, I got quite a lot. There's a big year. Let's let, let's hear it. Let's hear it. The Fast and Furious series is gonna end with ten and eleven. Oh, I I read that this morning. What the fuck? And somebody on the set, I don't. Somebody on the cast has announced that in in one of these films they are fucking going to space. Okay. So. It's finally happening. They should have done that by like six. What's yep. going on? They're going to Tokyo drift on Mars or some shit. I don't know. They're going to drop, I don't know, fly at a nuclear weapon. I, who the fuck knows? This franchise has gotten out of control. Donkey Kong? Oh my God. Um, Wendell Pierce is going to be playing B.B. King in an upcoming biopic. So that ought to be mm-hmm. uh Michael B. Jordan is likely going to be directing Creed 3, his debut. That'll be... That'll be interesting. I, for one, am worried because Creed 1 and 2 are good, good movies. Yeah. And he immediately, with his first film, has to follow up two awesome movies with a third. You have to finish off the third by directing it? Like, damn, that's not easy. And so if it doesn't go well, and the third movie is the worst one of the three creeds, the, the creed trilogy that would, that would suck for him and for his legacy. So I really hope, I really hope it goes well. I think it will. I think, you know, Stallone's going to 
shadow him, going to help him out. It's his baby too. So he's going to, you know, I'm sure he won't let Jordan do this alone. And yeah, I just, Ryan Coogler. I know. <laughs> I don't really, Stallone, yeah. Stallone's going to do his part no matter what, but Coogler. <laughs> True, but I don't remember who directed Creed 2, and that was pretty good. Who did direct Creed 2? Wasn't Ryan Coogler. I'll, I'll look it up right now. And uh, another, I don't like Creed 2 as much as Creed 1, but it's still I, good. Me too, but it is. I like how they did Drago's story. They finished that off with some grace, and I like that. Um, Jason Statham is returning for The Meg 2, and uh, Ben Wheatley is going to be directing it, the guy who just did the shitty Rebecca remake for Netflix. Ah, okay. And uh, does anybody good. really care about uh, The Meg was awful. Why are they doing another one? God damn it. I thought that movie failed. <laughs> why, are we, why are we going back? The Megalodon. Stephen um, Capel Jr. is the okay. guy who directed Creed 2. Yeah, and he's, he's done a bunch of shorts. Young guy. I, I, have, I have faith in Michael B. Jordan. I think, he's, I think this is going to prove that he's, he can do pretty much anything. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be sweet. I love all the Rocky movies for various reasons. As we talked about early on, I think our third episode. Yeah. Yeah, kick ass. And then finally, Jared Leto and Joe Manganiello are joining Zack Snyder's Justice League reshoots as the Joker and Deathstroke, respectively. So Zack Snyder's taking what is already a busy movie, adding $70 million worth of reshoots on top of it, and throwing in every fucking character that DC has included in their films. And this is just shaping up to be the biggest fuck up in DC's history. So I'm really hoping that this doesn't suck something awful because it's going to destroy a lot of careers. <laughs> oh God. Can't wait. I want it to be good, but it's not looking like it's going to be. <laughs> no, it ain't it ain't looking good to be good. Yeah. No, this is looking like a, fin- a financial disgrace. I can't believe Warner Brothers was okay with shelling out an additional 70 million on a film that already failed like oh my god who's running this show man like who is making these decisions oh god yeah so that is my news of the week (laughs) god damn man yeah that's that's some of that that's some of that movie shit that uh you just you just get lost in like you said this could go really poorly for so many people yeah but we do like we have a Special Avenue, we're going to be talking about the Snyder Cut next year when it does come out. For sure, for sure, 100%. Uh, yeah, uh, that's going to be a blast. <laughs> I, I want to shit on it, but I also am kind of hoping, as a comic book fan, like, please, please be good. <laughs> give, us something, give us something to chew on to talk about, please. The comic fan wants us to succeed. The movie fan really wants to just rip Zack Snyder a new one for an hour. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> we have before, yeah. What are we doing next week? Yeah, finally. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I feel like I interrupted you a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> no worries. You're excited. I, I, I bro- well, I broke in there talking about Sasha Baron Cohen because um, his performance in the trial of Chicago seven is, is awesome. Borat, the sequel just came out on Amazon prime. So I highly suggest people watch that. And watch the first one from 2006 because that's the movie we're going to be talking about next week, along with Sasha Baron Cohen and his career. Uh, Borat, 2006, at the 79th Academy Awards, it was up for Best Screenplay, along with 
Notes on a Scandal, Little Children, Children of Men, and the winner, The Departed. So we are obviously not going to take the route of talking about the best screenplay uh, movies. We've talked a bit about Departed before uh, when we did Little Miss Sunshine and Children of Men is a spectacular film. But what we're going to do here is talk about Sasha. Talk about this guy's this guy's career, especially the 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 you know the Borat stuff, Bruno, the dictator, Ali G. He, the sheer balls this guy has to challenge stuff, and then on top of that, you you just take him as a performer, and you're like, damn, this guy's kind of incredible, you know. Even in even in something as silly as Talladega Nights, this guy is fucking like a knockout the whole time. Yeah. And we both we both believe that Sasha Baron Cohen is certainly going to be nominated for Best Actor. Yes, indeed. And it's we feel like it's timely with Borat two coming out. So fuck it, we're going to do a little Sasha Baron Cohen showcase. Uh, have some fun with that. I, I, are, are you amped for that or what? I can't wait. I'm very amped. I'm very interested to kind of decipher how the hell Borat got a screenplay nomination at the Oscars. Yeah, and I yeah. do want to dig into that film I haven't seen since I was like 15, and also explore the other Ali G stuff, how this, you know, British weirdo <laughs> wannabe gangsta comedian guy became one of the most divisive figures in Hollywood. And uh, yeah, for sure. That'll be a very interesting episode. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. You know, this is, this is the route we're going, man, um, is talking about individuals and specific things within the Oscars. Now, every fifth episode, we are going to do a, what we'll call a best picture showdown, meaning we'll take a winner from some year, uh, a random year, and we'll watch that movie, give awards out to that movie, but we'll also watch as many of the best picture nominations as we can and, and figure out which of those, you know, five or nine or 10 or 11 should have won, uh, but we'll base it around the winner. So you're still going to get that, that every now and again, where we're honing in on one specific award show and the, the best picture kind of race. But we, we feel like we're going to be able to cover more stuff in a more interesting and entertaining way if we select individuals and specific things within the Oscars. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great idea. It's a great new direction for the show. And I'm excited to see where we go with this. Hell yeah. So come on back for episode 22, where we'll be uh, talking about Sasha Baron Cohen and Borat. Can't fucking wait. And uh, this Very week, nice. Oh my God. This week on the Filmgasm podcast, we're doing Halloween 2, 1981. So tune in for that. It's going to be a blast. And uh, yeah, Borat next week, which is something I never thought I'd be saying. Uh, <laughs> see you next right, week. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> mm-hmm.